disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary. Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. I'm your hostess with the mostest. You can call me Rocky. And we are trying something a little different on the podcast today. You know, it's Rosh Hashanah. It's a time for new beginnings. And um, we are doing our first attempt at a solo episode. I don't think this is something that's going to be a very regular thing going forward. But um, it's something that I could potentially do once in a while. I want to see if I can maybe sustain something long form with just me in, you know, future projects. and. Um, Really, the other reason is that Brig did the show last week, and I don't think I have any other close friends who would want to talk about Drake for two hours. Uh, this week, we are talking, of course, about Certified Lover Boy, the new album by American Dragon Drake Long. And, you know, I wouldn't have done a solo episode if I didn't think that I had enough to talk about with this album, with this guy, to fill an entire episode. The thing with Drake, when I had Sam and Leon on a couple weeks ago, we were talking about that Beatles podcast we were going to do, and there was a point where we were talking about other artists who we could like do a whole podcast where every episode is just about one song, and one of those artists was Drake. I'm not, I'm not a uh, a Drake stan or whatever. I actually don't much care for him, but I'm I really enjoy that process of you know digging into his music and digging into all his little eccentricities the same way that i talk about the beatles where i'm like kind of shitting on them but i but i'm you know really engaging with the content in a way that i that i do enjoy them i feel the same way about drake you know i'm i'm a hater but i'm a hater who can acknowledge that i am am engaging with the art in a way that i like appreciate i you know i did a little bit of history notes but i kind of feel like um most of the history isn't super relevant. Nothing that interesting happened in the rollout to this album. It just kind of kept getting delayed. Um, and I feel like as we get into the songs, we will sort of circle back to all the things that are interesting about the history of them. So other than that, uh, the one thing we want to do is our news segment. Dun, 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 what's pulpin'? And uh, for that, we are just going to briefly talk about uh, a new film that just dropped this past weekend, uh, Cinderella, starring Camilla Cabello and a whole cast of characters, uh, Thomas Galatine, I believe is the Nicholas Galatine, who plays the prince. I should have, I should have looked this up. Um, but yeah, I saw Cinderella. I actually saw it in theaters and, um, you know, I feel like a lot of that Nicholas Galatine is his name, and I feel like a lot of the um, th this movie was pretty pr profoundly like out of hand dismissed when people started talking about it. When they were like Camilla Cabello's doing a Cinderella movie, and a lot of the hate for it, I feel like has just come from the fact that it's got Camilla Cabello and it's got James Corden and it's a jukebox musical and all all these things about it. Um, without that much engagement with the movie itself. You know, when it went number one on Amazon Prime Video, people, and, this, and you know, He's All That was a big hit at the same time. People were talking about how that was because of people hate watching it. The fact is, these are movies for kids, and kids like these movies. And um, just just to put it out there, I saw this Cinderella movie, and I honestly had a good time with it. 
Like, you know, there are a lot of ways in which it isn't good, but I just feel like, I feel like there's a fundamental, the big problem with it is there's this fundamental concept of doing like a, like a campy mid-budget, you know, sort of self-aware Cinderella movie. And I feel like there's, there's so much to be done there. And there are moments where it really comes through with that. Kay Cannon, I feel, is a better director than a writer. And the way that she, like visually portrays this world the kind of like zooms and different camera things that she's doing are very dynamic and they're the kind of things that you just don't see a lot of these days because everything has to be because studios are are not taking risks right now and so they everything has to be at the highest level while um you know amazon the streaming services they're the ones who are willing to to do these mid-budget you know things and kind of play around with it and so i think that um it is a very dynamic movie. It kind of has this Mamma Mia thing about it where, like, all the conflict is kind of with a wink and a smile. And, you know, even when it's not, like, good, it's, you know, they're having fun with it and you can kind of get into it. And even though I, I don't appreciate Camila Cabello's voice that much, I know a lot of people don't. It's definitely not, like, the voice that you come to expect from a Disney princess. It's a lot more uh, sort of sort of rough and distinct where where, you know princesses in princess movies when they sing they tend to be very like airy and light um but you know i think she i think she kind of does it well here and um as much as i you know as much as i thought it was crazy when they started singing what a man and then they were doing an like a mashup of what a man and seven nation army I, I I did enjoy that scene, you know. I, I I enjoyed these musical sections, even though they were so off the wall and like just just confusing from a from a like concept perspective. They're also really well mixed. They had great they had a great you know arrangement for them, you know, with the who did the who did the music for this? I think it was Anne Previn. Yeah, Anne Previn did a great job on the music, and then. Um, also, uh, Michael Dana and, and Jessica Weiss. Uh, and then, yeah, cast-wise, I think mostly cast is really good. I'm starting to think that Camila Cabello might be a better actor than she is a singer. Uh, she, she was honestly, like, into it, and she gave a pretty strong performance. I thought everyone was pretty good. The only person who really sucked in this cast, other than even James Corden, it was like, you know, he was obviously not good or funny, but he was, he was, you know, he was one of the mice, and the other two mice were James Acaster and Ramesh Ranganathan, who are like actual, uh, comedians <laughs> so they kind of balanced each other out a little bit um the only actor who i thought really did not do a good job in this movie was pierce brosnan uh but yeah overall you know the cinderella movie is not bad it's fun and like i said it's just the kind of movie that they don't make enough of these days i wish more movies like this would get released in theaters and that people would see them i like the fact that they're on streaming i like the fact that they're doing numbers on streaming but you know this is something that's missing from the movie going experience in my opinion and and, and just the fact that like i think critics play a part in this this sort of breaking down of industry stuff where like you know, critics, and part of this is audiences too, but that critics either won't or feel like they can't, uh, you know, be critical of a Marvel movie. They can't be critical of these releases that have all these big fan bases and people looking up to them. And I think, I, I think part of that is that critics feel intimidated, but I think part of it is that they just, you know, there, there's just an expectation, an idea that they go in with that's different from other movies. And I think that 
the reason that there hasn't been an an impactful studio comedy in the past 10 years is partially that critics are and you know people aren't turning out for people aren't showing up for like the spy who dumped me which was a a, you know a a perfectly good action comedy it has like a 36 on rotten tomatoes i think and you know certain people were were hyping it up but it's really i think that studios are not taking chances on the new comedy talent and part of that is that they're blind to the comedy talent that is becoming household names through the internet you know if you put if you put gabriel gundacker in a movie everyone would immediately be like that's the zendaya's michi guy and he'd be you know he'd be so funny but um i also just think that like i think critics play a role in not you know pushing these things forward and it's the same thing with the cinderella movie like yeah it's not uh it's not you know amazing but i don't think it's trying to be i think it's you know uh, it's a really fun and kind of you know it, it, it it's a good like romp it's a romp basically and it's it's not really funny either there are a couple good lines there's a moment where like you know the the like orchestra is going crazy at the ball and then the the bass player like smashes this giant like you know double bass and then pulls out another one it's it might have been a cello but you know one of the really big ones um so yeah i guess those are my thoughts on the cinderella movie and i just think there was a there was a division between the way the idea of doing like a a, a campy cinderella movie and this expectation even in these relatively lower budget kind of films where they're like we have to have this four quadrant appeal we have to reach as many people as possible and that's the kind of thing that that gets that's kind of what the careers of people like Camila Cabello and uh, James Corden are built on. They're built on this idea that no one really loves, no one really likes them, but no one dislikes them enough to, like, keep them from being famous, basically. That, that's really mean. But, um, like I said, I thought Cabello was really good in this. James Corden, uh, if you don't have anything nice to say. Uh, so... <laughs> We're talking about Drake. We're talking about Certified Lover Boy, and the one—I I, I guess—just as a little aperitif, because we're going to do the same thing that we did with the Donda episode, and just kind of go into each track. But I just wanted to do a little bit of kind of table setting here before we get in. Um, so Drake wrote the description of the album on Apple Music, and he said, "Quote." A combination of toxic masculinity and acceptance of truth, which is inevitably heartbreaking. And you know. There's certainly, like, I don't want to say there's, there's heartbreak on this album. There's, there's toxic masculinity on this album for sure. I just feel like, you know, there, there's room for music that has like a toxic attitude. You know, that's what uh, Young Thug, who's featured on this album, does a lot. Future, whatever. But, you know, I feel like when you come out and say this is toxic, it's like you're trying to have your cake and eat it too, you know? It's like, it's like, oh, look at me, I'm so toxic, and then you're still doing it. And it's not in like a, it's not in like a, like a clown way either. It's like you're, you're coming out and saying, this is wrong, and then as a, as a prelude to you doing it. And, and you know, I don't want to see Drake in his like, Lupe Fiasco, bitch bad era, but I, I, I just feel like he falls flat every time he like leans into self awareness, you know? Because the reception quickly shifts from because he's doing all this all this crazy shit all the time where he's doing you know eight minute videos with sketches in them and and you know calling his album Scorpion and just he's his whole thing is being like kind of embarrassing all the time so like if he's pointing it out then the next question is so what the fuck are you doing and then I just think the the like syntax of this sentence needs to be looked at too it's a combination of toxic masculinity. And acceptance of truth, 
which is inevitably heartbreaking. So, is the truth heartbreaking? Is the acceptance of the truth heartbreaking? Is the combination heartbreaking? Uh, is it a combination of toxic masculinity with heartbreaking truth? Or is it a combination that is heartbreaking? And what does that mean either way? An acceptance of truth which is inevitably heartbreaking. I just... Is the album heartbreaking? I don't know. I guess I guess we'll find out as we get into it. Um, and then the fucking cover art. Just to just to get the cover art out of the way, and you could tell I was like kind of face palming a little there. Just I uh, I found out like a couple days out because you know the cover art dropped, and I always expect Rick to do something embarrassing with the with the album cover, or whatever. So I was, so I was like, okay, that's Drake. This is going to be. It was like it reminded me of Life of Pablo, where it was like you know a picture here and a picture there and all this text. Where it was like, okay, this looks like you made it in MS Paint, but fine. Then I found out that fucking Damien Hurst designed that cover art. It's based on his uh, his colors thing, where he's got like the dots, but they're pregnant woman emojis instead. The you know this is a guy who had that uh, who was rumored to be Banksy, and he had that infamous like hotel room with the butterflies and pills all over. Like I just. I don't know. I mean, not to seem biased out of the gate, but when Kanye makes an album cover that looks like it was made in MS Paint, he does it himself. (laughs) You know? (laughs) I'm just saying. Like, just to get it out of the way. And in terms of bias, just to to throw it out there, I am biased. Everyone is. I like Kanye more than Drake. I, I love to engage with both artists, but I engage with Kanye in the sense of what I enjoy about engaging with Kanye's art is breaking down the layers of meaning in it. What I enjoy about engaging with Drake's art is kind of clowning on it. Um, and I consider them both, uh, you know, art appreciation, but, um, they just come at it from different ways. So I'm still a hater, but I'm, I'm admitting it. So the first track we have is Champagne Poetry. Um, this is the one, it, uh, it, it's, you know, the big, like, six minute, is it six minutes? Well, how long is this? It, it's close to six minutes. It's a big, you know, rappy, it's, it's doing Tuscan leather. It's doing, like, the, you know, the big long intro where he's, like, laying it all out on the table. Um, his first line on the entire album is, I've been hot since the birth of my son, which is already just bringing a very weird energy right out of the gate just being like (laughs) just just i don't know to be like to to be i mean okay to brag about the birth of your son but to brag about how how like how hot you've been since the birth of your son you know like it's it's bizarre it's very drake but it's very strange and so he's doing this this dramatic, very clearly Kanye-influenced beat. I'm just going to say that right out of the gate. I'm, I'm sure he would admit to this freely, but it... I mean, he didn't produce it. But 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 just, you know, the sample, the the way that the, the vocals on the sample are, like, over the, the Drake vocals, and then the switch at the end where the synths come in, like, like everything is very, you know, clearly influenced by Ye. Maybe that was an intentional, like, out to him. Maybe it's just the fact that Drake takes a lot of influence from Kanye. I don't know. Maybe it's just it's just Kanye's impact. Whatever. Um, uh, you know, I feel like this is this was a particularly interesting beat. One of the more interesting beats I thought I'd heard Drake on in a long while. You've got this. You've got you know. You're calling the Beatles here. You're it's sampling uh, Masigo's song Navajo, which samples um, 
uh, Michelle by the Beatles. And, you know, he's definitely, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of goat talk on this album, like Brig was saying about the, about the Kanye album, but he's talking about, he, he's referencing the Beatles early on. He also nods to Michael Jackson in his first verse. He says, still I moonwalk straight through a minefield. You know, he, he's very much setting up that, like, musician slash rock star on the high on the high level kind of attitude here at the same time i the first thing that i was struck by as i was listening to this song this time around is just like it feels like the there's a de-emphasis on drake's own vocals like his own verses on on the first part of this record on the second part he's he's very high in the mix but in the first part it just sounds like the the sample that that masigo beetle sample is just like over what drake is saying it's hard to really it was hard for me to really pay attention to what he was saying and there's just there's honestly not that much in the in the lyrics on this on this verse to really to really grab me either on this part of the song um but yeah things pick up significantly on the second half drake uh nods to contemporary politics which is where which is very rare and which is something that people were talking about how it's good that he doesn't do but actually he does it right out the gate here and it's about what you expect he says the city's on fire and people are in denial charges being laid but we'll see what they do with trial i'm calling this shit from now sweetheart deals that the judge has been handing down like uh you know sure that's fine <laughs> You know, on an album that's about, that's like toxic masculinity and acceptance of truth, which is inevitably heartbreaking, it's like, you know, if he was thinking about concept from beginning to end, and we'll get into what the concepts on this album are, but I, I just feel like if, if that was his intention going in, he might have looked at that line and said, this is not the time or the place for it, even though, you know, first release since... 2020 like he I, I, there's a sense that i think has picked up on a lot of rappers albums in the past year that's just like well i have to say something but you know he doesn't he's drake like like we don't expect him to be you know whatever um i shouldn't say we but um yeah other than that on this verse he mentions his squabbles with the city of toronto which i think kind of speaks to I don't know, it feels a lot more genuine, this, this you know, second part of the song, but it's just like, is there a point where you're so unrelatable talking about how the city of Toronto is mad at you because you're, like, like you're Batman, you know? Like, <laughs> there, I, I just feel like there's a certain point where, you know, I mean, people brag on, on in hip-hop tracks, they, you know, flout all these ridiculous things but i just feel like there's a point where where it's just not in a conversation that people are having you know when you talk about cars everyone has a car you know you know you don't have squabbles with like your local government to to, to i don't know it's it's funny i like it but it's um unrelatable at the very least and there's you know there's some like potential uh nods at kanye here uh you know, Drake, Drake's, like, questioning why he's snubbed for awards, and he's, like, not, he's, you know, talking about uh, censoring himself at that same time. What does he say? He says, uh, oh, yeah, that, that line about winning awards is censored. So I that that feels like it could be a little slight there. There's a you know he's he's very like the the like the Drake stuff on the Kanye album. The Kanye stuff on this album is very kind of sparse throughout. It's a little it's a little amped. It, it's a little it's it's higher in the mix than Donda, but it's you know it, it, it's it's clearly not the main takeaway from this album. And um, 
yeah, I feel like the, the there's sort of a table setting for the album in this couplet where he's like, this is the part where I don't ever say pardon me anymore. This is the part where I'm going to find a new part of me to explore. This is the part where all my partners know what we're in it for. This is the part where we're going to throw us a party after the war. You know, the, he's... It feels like, it feels like, like I said, just, you know, setting up what the rest of the album's gonna be, just kind of, you know, coming in with an attitude, you know, finding a new part of me to explore, he says, which we'll, we'll get into that, but, you know, I, I, I like that on an intro track, um, I found it weird that it ended, like, there, there's the outro, and, like, every song on this album has, has, has kind of an outro, and none of them are as egregious as the, um, which song is a super long outro on Donda? It's I, it might be, it might be off the grid or God breathed. God breathed has a really long outro, but but on this album it's just every song has one, and it's like okay, you know this album. If you if you take out the bonus tracks, this album's actually longer than Donda. But like you 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 can you can you know be be methodical about it and even with you know the way this song ends with like changing a radio station and there's like there's like static it's like perfectly set up to like segue into the next song and then it doesn't i just i don't know why you'd end a song with a with a transition with with radio static and then not segue into the next one at all just have that abrupt cutoff it feels like a like an odd decision i guess but um yeah i like this opener kind of toes the line between boastful and sincere which you know classic drake shit great beat um i gave it a six out of ten in retrospect i think at the time i might have given it a seven but you know just um i'll get into it in a minute the thing that the thing that made me feel like maybe this wasn't as strong as it as it felt at the time is that the is the next track poppy's home um which just feels like I'll I'll get into it here, but it just feels like once you listen to it, like this was clearly meant to be the intro, and then something about whether it was you know marketing looking at the looking at the metrics, seeing what you need for streaming, or whether it was just a desire to kind of come a little more correct out the gate because of beef or because of status issues, whatever. It just you know it it feels like champagne poetry was kind of tacked on here, and that you know if I were cutting this album the same way that I might cut. Um, no Child Left Behind from Donda, even though it sounds great, just because Come to Life is a better outro, I would I might cut Champagne Poetry from this album because Poppy's Home is clearly meant to be the intro. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it, it, it even does a better job of doing that, that table setting thing I was talking about. You know, the, the whole thesis of this song is, I mean, I can just read it in the... Um, in the opening monologue here over this Montel Jordan sample, he says, To all my sons worldwide, all my juniors, I apologize for my absence. I know I left you without an annual drop. I don't know how I expected you to get your cloud up and get your money up, but don't worry. Daddy's home. And this, and this whole song, you know, it's got that attitude. It's got that, like, kind of cheeky thing about it where he's, you know, and you could kind of expect that Daddy's Home would be like a, like one of those sleazy, like, picking up, picking up girls Drake songs. But I, I like the way that it kind of plays with the, the Poppy's Home, like the, the, the other meanings that that can have and the way that it's like, this is the kind of, this is that toxic energy, you know, this is a, <laughs> This is a toxic Drake opening, and the champagne poetry is a little too, a little too, um, basic, you know? Yeah, this is the, this is the intro for the toxic masculinity Drake album. This is the certified lover boy intro, um, with the pregnant women on the cover. Um, 
I, I like this song a lot. It's really funny. It's high energy. Um, a little, you know, that's the thing. Even structurally, it's just like you can tell that this was not meant to be an album track because it's like, because it's like a verse. And, uh, let me, let me look at the, let me look at the structure here because with the, with the Nikki interlude and the big intro and there's only one verse, it's like, it's very clear that this was meant to be the kind of song that, you know, sets, sets a tone for a section of the album. It's, this is a, this is for the album not for like single shit even though i think it'd be a good single it's it's really it's it's a better intro than champagne poetry is what i'm getting at in a lot of different ways um one thing i will say the chatter on my side of twitter has been talking about these grooming allegations with drake from a couple years ago um how he texts millie bobby brown and billy eilish and you know this story about him dating this girl who was fresh out of high school that turned out not to be true but there was another thing around that time that was w weird and there's that old that old concert footage that people are always always throwing around i agree that he He's, he's a sketchy guy, and it, if if there turned out to be something going on there, I would not be surprised at all. I feel like the 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 actual I wouldn't go as far as to say as to you know say he's a pedophile to say he's he's a groomer or whatever at this point because there's just you know that I we we haven't seen any actual like victimization there not that you know if it if, if if it became clear that he was a pedophile pedophile and like we wouldn't need we wouldn't need a victim for that for that to be <laughs> to you know take him off for that but i just feel like what what we have is um it's a little scant in my opinion but i do think there are a couple things about him and the way that he sort of carries himself on this album that just feels like it feels like, in a way, the wrong move for this moment, given given this this kind of bubbling under the surface thing of people feel like he's a creep for him to be doing a toxic masculinity album amid all that. Like, come on! And there's a line on this song. It's one of the earlier ones where he says, "Sierra Canyon parking lot looking like Magic City parking lot," and like I think you know he's talking about them being like crowded and you know just just who the kind of crowds that he can draw, but like when you you're comparing the high school that you frequent to a strip club in the midst of all this stuff about texting and grooming like it, it, it it's just a bad look at the very bare minimum you know not not into it for that but you know like i said i'm not gonna be beating that drum this whole time uh i don't know he he seems like a skeevy guy but i don't want to uh on the other hand there's another line on this track that i did think was funny and it was when he um he says let me pull up the actual line here it's like uh He's 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 referring to Coke as something that is not Pepsi, and I think that is <laughs> that's a really funny line. That's a funny a funny little bit there, and something I haven't heard before. You know, like like a different way of talking about Coke. I'm sure I've heard. I'm sure you know. You look at like the locks or Pusha T. Someone who someone someone who's been talking about it for years. You'll find something about Pepsi in a in a bar about Coke. But I just I thought that was really funny and unique and kind of kind of Drakey. You know, a little like like, like dad jokey. Um, I was getting kind of Dirty South vibes for the, from this track, like the way the sample ride sort of reminds me of the keys you might find on like a 3-6 track, and um, as we got through the rest of this album, it was only later on that I started to pick up on how those themes kept coming back, but this was like the first inkling that this might be something that's taking from those Dirty South sounds, and then... 
Uh, Nikki walks into frame after Drake says, don't make me uh, go get your mama to talk to you. So, you know, again, real stinker energy. Nikki's always bringing that that little rascal shit to the table, and I love to see it. Um, she's, she's, you know, the, 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 the pettiness, it's, it's great and it's fun. And yeah, so as much as champagne poetry is more like austere and, and like respectable, whatever, this song is just, it's really fun. And it just, and you know, and, and, and I actually did have this in my notes that after hearing this one, I went back and lowered my grade for champagne poetry because just like, this is clearly meant to be the intro. It's an intro that like sets the table for the rest of the album better than champagne poetry. And champagne poetry could just as easily have been like a Lucy or something, you know, from on the cutting room floor. So. Poppy's Home should have been the intro, is my opinion. And that brings us to the next track. Um, maybe the most, definitely the most controversial <laughs> track on this album. Um, Girls Want Girls featuring Lil Baby. And as much as I want to give equal time to the different songs on this record, I suspect that Girls Want Girls is probably going to be... Uh, the one I have the most to say about, I guess we can, you can start the conversation by looking at the history of lesbians being fetishized and seen as, seen as, you know, big game trophies, uh, throughout history, because it's something, it's a centuries old tradition that, uh, that, that you can find in you know, pulp novels from the 1800s, you know, 90s, like erotic thrillers and comedies sometimes, and just now it's showing up in hip hop a lot. And you can, you can find it in classics too. You can find it in Nelly's Country Grammar, Notorious B.I.G.'s The What, as well as modern tracks by the likes of ASAP Rocky, Tyga, G.E.Z., 6ix9ine, Young Thug. You'll find it all over the place if you, if you're looking for it. And you'll, you'll hear it every once in a while and be like, oh, this again, you know, just like it's like i could fuck a lesbian basically um and what these examples have in common is that it's it's fetishization in the form of a brag that they have enough clout or enough money or they're pretty enough or they have enough sexual prowess that they have exclusive access to these women who should be unattainable to them and you know it's 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 ultimately it's rooted in this in this trivialization of women's agency it's treating women as rewards in the first place that leads you to that next point of well the ultimate reward is a woman who is who is off limits and you know that that lies at the crossroads of homophobia and misogyny you don't need me to tell you that but um in terms of recent examples, an interesting twist on the trope, I think, could be found in Metro Boomin's 2018 track, Lesbian, where Gunna intercuts his, like, flexing with this kind of emotional tale of falling in love with a woman who turns out to be a, a lesbian and kind of having his heart broken that way. Um, whether or not that, that, you know, as a topic for a song on its own, I think that would be weird, but I like the way that, like, you would look at the track list and see a song on the Metro Boomin album called Lesbian and be like, oh no. And then he gets into it and he's like, and he's like, oh, I should have seen the signs. And I, you know, I, 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 I that was, it, it was a twist on my expectations that I thought was was kind of interesting and i should say this isn't even the first time that drake has done the has done the lesbian thing he previously expressed a really similar sentiment to what he's going for in this song on the 2009 young money track every girl where he said are any of y'all into girls like i am lesbianist <laughs> which you know that being said i'm you know 
I, I don't think I know of another song where the entire front to back like premise revolves around trying to court a lesbian. I feel like that, you know, and there's so much to, there's so much to read into about that. Just, you know, I mean, to, to be basic about it, he's, you know, flirting with this girl on the hook. He says, you're wearing that dress because it's see-through, yada, yada. Um, uh, you said that you're a lesbian. Girl, me too. Girls want girls where I'm from. It just, ugh. Like, even to the extent that this trope is very much still around, I never would have expected someone to be, like, finding new heights of it in 2021. To, to, to be like, I'm gonna do an entire song about this. Like, even looking at people who would say something about lesbians, who would have that kind of attitude about them, I feel like most of them by this point know not to do an entire song about them, or would even leave those kind of lines off of a record because they know that they might get cancelled for it like like you know and again this is the mentality of people who would have said it but like are we are we at a point where, where this kind of thing can happen and i see people i've seen a couple like you know in, in my side of twitter i've seen people clowning on this song and you know breaking it down whatever i've also seen uh, people kind of unironically being like that it's that, that it's a hit and i just i i, I it kind of it takes me aback it just you know i'm beguiled by it and, you know, even when the tracklist came out, when I, you know, he put it, uh, the tracklist earlier the day the album was going to drop, or I guess it dropped at 2 a.m. the next day, whatever, but he was like, um, there's a song on there called Girls Want Girls, and I didn't think he was, it was going to be about Drake trying to, trying to chasing Amy some girl. I, th I thought he was going to, like, get into his, you know, Panic at the Disco bag and do another Nice For What type, like, women's empowerment but this time it's about lesbians song you know like <laughs> that was it's it's crazy in retrospect that that's where my mind went given everything else about this album but i just i don't expect of all people here's the thing despite that thing i just said about how people think he's a pedophile drake might have one of the most tightly controlled images of any rapper like like it's not just it's not just what he says on social media it's not just what he says in interviews or what he wears it affects every word he raps every beat he picks every flow every accent every video he does like he's always it's always marketing shit for him and you can hear it on all his albums how every song is like written in such a way that it's that, that it's like as universal as it can be and as as kind of i hate to say watered down but just like there's 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 a there's an idea of four quadrant appeal that goes back to that thing i was saying about the movie industry today that's how drake does music too and every movie's made post hotline bling feels like it was specifically tailored like to keep him from getting canceled like he like like he's doubling back that's why that feels like the reason why he did nice for what is because he needs to kind of sort of rework his image he does does the god's plan video at the same time trying to sell himself as this like clark this like superman kind of figure and you know for for him to be the one that makes a song called girls want girls uh, like like again on an album where he comes in in the description being like talking about toxic masculinity as if he's as if he's a scholar on it and then doing and then doing a fucking song about uh, getting, trying to hook up with a lesbian like it, it, it's stunning it's really stunning to get into the to the song itself if we must 
Uh, the line that people have particularly gone nuts about comes early on, say that you're a lesbian girl, me too. It's an engagement with this trope that could only come from Drake in a way. It's this, the same way that Skepta said he was British and Drake said me too. His, his approach reeks of this, this, you know, need to be liked that he has that you can scrape it off of any of his eight minute long videos or focus group tested disc records. You know, this is, it's, he's straddling that cool lame matrix and just getting pied in the face with homophobia from both sides because his, his cool in this sense is that it is, that a guy who flirts with lesbians is cool and his lame is that being a lesbian is lame the and, and man the the refrain here is girls want girls where i'm from which to be fair my experience with toronto does uh confirm that but <laughs> even then like that could have been used in like an in like a nice for what kind of scenario like i'm not interested in you but you know i'm i'm with it i'm down with i'm down with the thing it could have been you know <laughs> it could have been it could have been nice for what too but but you know he he shit the bet on context. The beat really doesn't help either. I know, again, people are saying that this is like a, people are acting like this is like a banger or something, and like, it feels like an outlay, outtake from Dark Lane demo tapes, which is literally an album made of outtakes. And the Drake's verse is like weirdly kind of distracted. It's like he has to, like, like, like he starts singing the hook again. Like he has to remind himself that this is a song about lesbians. And then he kind of sets this scene about the girl in question being someone from back in the day who's tired of men and is now ta texting Drake to come see her. A, a credulous enough audience could frame this as Drake actually teasing a new like gender identity about to drop. But you know, Occam's Razor tells us that this is a you know this is a male thought album. This is an attempt at a male thought song that goes horribly wrong. Um, and Lil Baby is along for the ride too. His verse is about how he spoils his girlfriend as well as her girlfriend. Um, it fits into that framework of fetishization, definitely, but it's substantially less creepy and just more interesting than what Drake brings to the table, particularly because, I don't know, it's supportive, it's not explicitly about lesbians, it's a little more like what you might expect Drake to do if he was trying to write this song in a, like, like if he was trying to do the nice for what thing I was talking about earlier, he would do it in this way of like, I, you know, this girl has a girlfriend and I bought her a car, which is what Lil Baby does, basically. Um, you know, I usually hate this, the, 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 like, the, the, my girl's got a girlfriend thing, like, like, like you know, everyone, all, that's another thing that all the rappers do, again, it's fetishization all over again, but, like, compared to the rest of this song, this little baby verse is, like, a, a, a breath of fresh air, <laughs> like, it, it, it's, there, it, there's so little to be appreciated about everything up to that point, that you just get a different voice in there, just someone who has a different, has a different, pers not even a good perspective, just a different perspective, and it's like, thank you. But yeah, um, bad concept, bad beat, bad hook, bad Drake verse, zero out of ten for me. <laughs> Even though, again, the Lil Baby verse is a step up on any other song, I would say that's a bad verse. The next track is In the Bible with Lil Durk and Giveon. Um, in the midst of everything, Drake, so much as referencing the Bible in a song, especially in a song title, feels like it's a nod at Kanye. Like, I don't think of Drake as the kind of guy who talks about the Bible. I mean, he's kind of Jewish, so like, you know, just, just the, the, the fact that he would bring it up and they would bring it up on the hook 
it, it, it hints that maybe there's something there. And I also, I have this, I have this pet theory that I don't know if I have adequate notes for me to really get into right now, but I, I have this thing about how I feel like the, the girls that Drake talks about in a song are sometimes representations of like other rappers and people in his life who might not necessarily be women. And the fact that this, that, that this girl described who she like purports to be religious, but she's, you know, sleeping around and she's getting drunk and, you know, going wild in the way that Drake sees as wild for a woman. Um, I, I see that maybe potentially like this whole song is a coded reference to Kanye and I'll get into it. I think, I think this, this version of the Drake and Kanye beef is kind of manufactured, but like, I, I think there could be something there. Uh, shout out to Leon Thomas on production. He was, uh, Andre on Victorious and he's a very good R&B singer. He has a song called Favorite with Buddy that I think is incredible. And, um, you know, fine production here. This droning kind of melody Drake does for the, his whole verse and chorus, it just, it, it gets old pretty fast in my opinion. The same way that the, um, uh, was the early song? I, I I guess um I guess God breathed was the one where I, I where I felt like it was the same thing on Donda. There are a couple songs on Donda that have kind of repetitive hooks, but that you know I we you can't not compare these two albums. Like like the the story being put out is that it's an arms race that these two are up against each other, not in the same way that Kanye and Fifty were, but in like an echo of that way. So I, I'm I'm looking for I'm looking for those parallels, and I feel like bad melodies and hooks is one thing that they have in common um pockets on whatever jeans <laughs> is one line i think it might have been pockets on whatever jeans green but like i i just the way that he says it is like pockets on whatever jeans like i don't fucking know um Dirk and Gaveon Dirk and Gaveon is weird, right? Like 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 Gaveon is not the kind of person who you put on a on on the same kind of track you put Dirk on and Dirk has been doing these super emotional verses that are kind of like um you know, he's he's been obviously been through a lot recently and he's really putting himself out there in some of these verses. I I like that. I respect that. He does the same thing here. I just feel like Gaveon has such this has has this like beautiful voice and you know Dirk is obviously this this more this more melodic rap kind of thing where he's um you just you can't picture them over the same beat you can't picture them over the same narrative even though they are basically talking about the same thing in their verses they still feel like they're on two completely different songs I don't know I was gonna say my one of my points at the beginning was that this is like not really a toxic masculinity album it's a male thought album but once you get a few tracks in it's like yeah there's a lot of a lot of toxic masculinity on this album he was honest about that part at the very least and um Gaveon, i thought sounded great and it was a great verse and a good way to end the song although once again kind of a long outro it's just this album especially even if even if you whatever songs on the album feel like they don't need to be there even if you keep all of those you could make all these songs a little bit shorter and cut like 10 minutes off the album just by having better outros so yeah that one is a three out of ten for me i like the give on part but the rest of it really doesn't doesn't do much for me i don't i don't find it uh interesting
The next song is Love All, featuring Jay-Z. Uh, Jay-Z is the third feature so far on this album to have also been on Donda. I think there's there might be a dozen of them. There's a lot, but like this feels like the most significant one. Uh, this song leaked a year ago, so it's I, I suspect that this was definitely recorded before there was an inkling that Jay-Z was going to be on Donda, um, and obviously he recorded his, his jail verse like the day of the first listening party. So, you know, but it, it's still an interesting note that's being struck between these two verses where he's so like combative and personal he's clearly calling out someone who he's he's directly threatening a specific person in his verse on this song and he takes on this real like this shepherding role you know it's it's Hovah and Jesus like Moses and Jesus he's, he's he's kind of pulling him out of the darkness on his at the beginning of his album sort of leading him on this path I I said in the last episode that Donda is like a Pirates of the Caribbean style ride where Kanye is sort of going on this journey and different characters are popping out of the bushes to like tell him their story is um this is obviously not that there's an interesting just balance between these two j verses for them to come out at the same time at all something that i noticed on this song and kind of continually throughout the rest of the album is just how frequently jake is referencing don julio 42 like every <laughs> like every single track it, it, it feels like it comes up and i think it kind of slows down after this point but on the first couple tracks it's re it really reaches a point where you're like what is your deal with Don Julio? And, you know, I know rappers have these product placement kind of deals sometimes. It's definitely something I feel like Drake has had in the past and might even have now. Good chance he has with Don Julio. I don't know the story there, but it just... It's, it's never really relevant and it's just, the fact that he keeps bringing it up I guess like we'll get into this later in the sense that this album could be seen as a concept thing I guess you know if it's all if it's all part of the same story that makes sense but these first couple songs having like gone back to them after coming up with my concept thing I feel like a lot of this does not relate to what the album might might this the narrative of the album at all you know, I know Drake isn't known for having, like, double entendres and, you know, poetic shit in his, in, in his lyrics, but I just, I just feel like he's never been duller than he is on, 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 on Love All and by this point on the album, like, like, pretty much everything so far. You know, he was pulling out the dad jokes last year on Popstar talking about, uh, the, the the Whitney Houston Texas line on Popstar is the one I come to mind. But I can't remember what the what the beginning of that one was, but you know he he's doing these. Oh yeah, one two th two four six eight watches. They appreciate you know like the, he he was he was pulling those out like a year ago, and now he's he just seems like almost averse to that same. Like, that goofball energy is part of the balance. Like, ha like, like having that, that's the reason he's not a pariah already. Because he, because he comes in, like, a, with a sweater and telling these silly jokes and doing silly videos. Obviously, he does have silly jokes and silly videos on this album. But just, by this point on the album, I was feeling like, where is the, like, wink? Where's the wink from Drake? But yeah, Love All uh, sounds good. Just... Like some of the past few songs, it just doesn't really hold up when you look any deeper than that. Um, this is probably a better J-verse lyrically and in terms of flow, performance, whatever. It's probably like a, like a more technical, technically adept verse than the one on Jail, but the one on Jail is such a, it's such a moment, you know, there's such a, there's such a, a, a lean towards moments on that album of just, of just, you know, having things that are that are that are just significant and uh, <laughs> you know the kind of things that give that give an album from a from a rapper who's been around as long as drake or kanye have that's the kind of thing that like people will look back on and being like that's a moment you were still relevant that that, that, that keeps you 
retrospectively relevant. It's, it's having a lot of moments like that, and the Jailverse is definitely going to be a lot more well-remembered than this one, I think. Because, um, you know, Jail Dropper for us on whatever. Jay did Drug Dealers Anonymous a couple years ago. No one remembers that. Like, the, 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 you know, just having a Jay-Z verse isn't, <laughs> isn't the thing. And this is a great verse. This might be a very memorable verse, but I think in the war, in the war between Drake and Kanye, getting attention for a Jay-Z verse, Kanye wins that round. Uh, I did think it was kind of funny, though, in Jay's verse, how he says, I can send a team to come drill you, and he's, like, you know, doing all this direct, <laughs> these direct threats at this at this guy who we don't know who it is, but we do know who it is, but he's not explicit about it. He's sending all these direct threats to this guy, I can send a team to come drill you, and then at the end he pulls out, like, an Oscar Wilde quote. <laughs> I just think that's great. That's great, like, modern-day Jay-Z shit. Um... Yeah, this is the point where I was starting to get annoyed with these uh, minute-long outros that every song has. Not minute-long, they're more like half a minute, but it's just, you know... I feel like there could be like 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 you're trying to set a tone. I like you're being consistent, whatever. I feel like you you just want to have one song. Once you have the or once you have a sequence, just you know put a little something at the end to make them flow into each other nicely. Figure out the right moment to cut it off and have the next thing come in. I feel like that's something that um. That's something that is needed uh, if you're going to, especially if you're going to do like a really long album like these are. Like you gotta, you you gotta at least have things flow into each other nicely, you know. So yeah, I love all is fine. I give it like a five, whatever. Um, fair trade, Travis Scott, another guy who's on Donda. Um, finally, another interesting beat. Wonder Girl produces this one first time since like the beginning of the album that i was interested in the beat right off the bat um it's so weird like like drake's part on this song is fine and listening to it a couple times i was like okay this is pretty good but it's it's i don't think i think drake might be the first rapper in history to have travis scott on a song and be like be out personalityed by by travis scott you know travis is the guy who on his own albums will pull out like you know so and so and just just you know just have all these features like these albums have and 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 you know give other people a spotlight let other people have the scene stealing verse but for you know and even when travis is a feature it's like he does a hook he does a vibe you know you don't expect travis to come through with the verse but i guess travis does come through with a great verse here like it's really good but i i feel like what does that say about drake that that drake can get on a song with travis scott and travis scott is like the interesting rapper as soon as he starts it's like where's this guy been the whole album (laughs) you know you want you want this to be a travis scott album and that might speak to the weakness of like the previous songs on the album more so than the weakness of drake's part on this song which i actually think is pretty good but it definitely travis came through on this song and kind of and and the thing i was saying earlier about how he's not doing the dad jokes enough it, it feels like he's working overtime to like strip himself of personality uh love to see a charlotte day wilson sample that's great uh but another track that really takes its time on the outro um probably works better on this one than other ones just because you've got that charlie charlotte day wilson thing you've got something to uh to kind of connect to but um but yeah i did like fair trade a lot i gave it a uh seven out of ten the next one is the hit the single the the song everyone's going to be talking about we're sure of it at this point even though the charts aren't out yet or whatever way too sexy with future and young thug um as soon as i'm too sexy came out like 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 within two seconds of this song i was like i am so in and then when future starts doing the hook i'm like this is amazing this is perfect i feel like this is the the ideal tone for drake to strike on certified lover boy with this concept that he's going for he got into it on poppy's home that kind of that kind of cheeky like i talk about a male thought album that you know that 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 energy of like 
that Megan the Stallion energy of, of you know being in your face and being kind of like kind of devilish about it, but also but also you know ha- having this this kind of sexual energy. I feel like he he takes that to another level here, and you know there's just something kind of I I hate to. <laughs> You gotta hand it to the to the to these guys, man. They're 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 just they're flipping Drake, Future, and Young Thug. They're taking this idea that these that these women in hip hop are bringing forward this this strong sexual energy and this cheeky kind of fun, you know, like 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 that whole attitude that these women who are who are conquering hip hop right now. This is really one of the first songs I've heard that is really doing the 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 dude's version of that you know and i hate to i hate to hand it to these guys who for for being like progressive or whatever future and young thug and drake but like they they kind of are they're you know it's like tupac in the bathtub they're stripping away that that like machismo artifice and seeing men in hip-hop take on that role that women in hip-hop often do you know this could just as easily have been a song with like megan or cardi and maybe it would have been better in some ways but i i just feel like that cleverness of taking on the objectification yourself is uh, yeah i i like it i gotta hand it to him yeah, way too sexy. That right said Fred sample uh, to like it's just it's a it's a kind of fun that I feel like men in hip hop have largely not been willing to have for a while. That you you definitely don't associate this like this vibe, this future like you know trap club banger vibe. You don't associate that with men kind of making fun of themselves and being you know like objectifying themselves, kind of you you know putting themselves in these um. In, in these positions and it, it's so fun it's i i like the song a lot i give it a 10 out of 10 i like young thugs verse i like futures verse it's not like you know if you were making a list of like the best future songs best young thug songs best right maybe best future songs but, but like this wouldn't be this isn't on that level but it just it's on a completely different level and i feel like it, it it's i i want to see more of this basically this this is the certified lover boy i wanted and uh, I like the I like the long outro on this one too. You know, it gets that chopped and screwed thing going on. It fits the vibes well. I the, you know this this won me over. The next track is TSU, which um, is probably the second most controversial track on Certified Lover Boy, which is saying a lot because its claim to infamy is that R. Kelly has a writing credit on it. Um, OVO Forty just yesterday, uh, yesterday as I'm recording this, it'll be a couple days since when it comes out. But um, he explained on Instagram that they like had to use this OG Ron C sample and they found out that they needed to give R. Kelly credit for it. And he, you know, he says that he, he says that he, and uh, by presumption, they don't feel great about it, but like they figure that, you know, like in terms of his music, the chances of that money actually going to him are very slim. And even beyond that, to the extent that he might make a little bit of money off the song, it wouldn't be enough to pay for like, to pay for like one week of of legal fees in the midst of all this so like you know i wouldn't buy this album on on the account of the r kelly credit i also would not buy donda for the for the um marilyn manson credit but i'm glad that 40 kind of came out and just you know got ahead of it didn't ignore it because if you ignore it then the next guy's gonna be like oh i'll do an r kelly sample and someone will be like i'll do an r kelly hook but it, but it was a thing for a long time you know the first the first wave of r kelly shit came out and then and then jay-z did a whole album with him and then he was he was on um cruel summer and he like 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 r kelly definitely 
has bounced back before, so I, I, I'm, I'm nervous to be legitimizing any of that. So I'm glad that 40 came out and was like, I'm not with this at all. I hate that we had to do this. I would be interested to see what Drake's gonna say, if anything, about it. Um, because I think that could be a really powerful thing to have Drake come out and be like, fuck R. Kelly, but whether or not that's gonna happen, I don't know. Um, other than that, this song, which Drake says is a true story, is about Drake supporting an ex-stripper who wants to start up her own business. You know, very standard Drake stuff. He kind of did the same story on The Real Her. I guess I like this song. It's, you know, it's the thing I say, it's like the same thing that Drake's done a bunch of times before. I like the beat. I like the melody. I like the, the, the like, switch up at the end. I just think that with the with the R. Kelly credit, with the fact that there are so many other songs like this, it's not something that I would ever revisit. Um, but it's fine. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't downgrade the album as a, as a song on its, on its face. The next song is In Too Deep, featuring Future once again. Um, this is another song that, like, the beat just kind of won me over right away. There's that guitar that comes in, and I'm like, yes! It's funny how, <laughs> with these albums, Drake kind of conditions you like, like, to, like, whenever something slightly unexpected happens in the instrumental or with a feature or whatever, you're like, oh my god! <laughs> I just think that's funny, but, um, yeah, uh, great intro. I like how he says, she gonna take off, like, a, and then leaves it blank for you to say, oh, rocket, because the last line was pocket, but, um, yeah, love the harmonies on the hook, um, this classic Drake shit. This is, you know, Marvin's Room. This is another another song that he's done like a lot of things like this before, where it's like that kind of that kind of rocky, moody first half, and then it like transitions into a, a a different atmosphere for the second half. Um, I I don't really like the second part, but I you know I like the way that it switch up, switches up, the change in tone and energy, just the like ideas there. It, 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 doesn't exactly stick the landing in my opinion but i'm relatively with the song overall uh future's fine you know doesn't really add much in my opinion but he he fits the the vibes of that second half definitely um he's definitely more at home on that beat on the second half than drake is uh yeah you know it's it's another concept for a song that drake's done before and it's like I like it. I like songs like this that are kind of, I like, you know, the Maria, I'm drunk and all that. I like all these songs that are kind of bringing that, that atmosphere of like, as the night changes, so does the song. And, but, but it doesn't bring anything new to that equation, I don't think. So I, I give it a seven out of 10. Next song, Pipe Down. As soon as that working on dying tag came in, I was, I was going nuts. I was like, Drake is working with working on dying. Amazing. Uh, and the beat is basically, it reminds me a whole lot of Devil in a New Dress. I don't know if that's just me, but I'm listening to this and I'm like, this is a clear attempt to hearken to Devil in a New Dress, the Kanye track from, um, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Uh, it still goes crazy. Drake sounds very passionate on it. Um, the line about Chanel, where he's like, when you see Chanel, I wish that's how you saw me. It's like, what's that all about? That was weird. Um, especially because it comes so early in the verse. I don't know. It just, I like, like, I, it, it feels like Drake is trying hard. That feels like him going into overtime with the, um, Instagram caption rap, trying to come up with something where it's like, when you wear something Chanel, you use this line. You say, when you see Chanel, I wish that's how you saw me. But it's like, the metaphor doesn't really work out. So, you know, it doesn't really stick the landing. 
there's kind of a slight on the second verse that sort of hints at this maybe being related to Kanye once again, and therefore it, uh, you know, that kind of, I think, adds a little potential meaning to the devil in a new dress sort of analog on the verse. Um, he says, quote, why does your ex think we're beefing? Is that man all right? Can't even look at me. He fell off twice. In the context of this being like a storytelling song, whatever, it could be just some dude who's jealous, but that fell off twice thing definitely feels like they're talking like, yay, uh, Jesus is king. And he, he says similar things about how Kanye hasn't been hitting in a couple years. So I feel that feels intentional. And then with the fact that it sounds so much like Devil in a New Dress, in my opinion, and also the fact that Devil in a New Dress is about Amber Rose maybe this song is about amber rose or he's trying to get you to think that maybe it's about amber rose i don't know that that that, that was my thought on it the you know kanye could be the ex in question who thinks they're beefing but yeah again i love the beat i love drake's passion i don't think i'm going to remember this song in like a year i don't think it's gonna stick with me that way that might just be that i don't listen i don't continue to listen to drake as much as i do uh kanye or some other artists um at this point i was like what's the i I was thinking about the story of this album or the the idea of it and i was like what are we doing here like the, the the you know you could see these last couple of songs potentially being about the same relationship uh but you know the the stuff that was doing before that with way too sexy and the you know these these disc records and in the bible and girls want girls it was it was a little very much to me like it it felt at this point that we're losing the plot a little bit but then the next track yabba's heartbreak uh an interlude by the singer yabba uh we love to see she's great she's gonna be huge um in the context of this album maybe starting to move into a narrative uh that repeated i do refrain seems to hint towards marriage here but there's also a sense that there's a barrier between them i'm not sure if yabba is playing the girl or if she's playing drake you know, I think she's singing towards Drake about how he is hiding his emotions, but I also feel like hiding emotions is not something that one associates Drake with per se. Maybe it's something that Drake like wants to wants to have a character that he wants to play. But um, beautiful, good stuff. Not something I'm likely to remember after the fact, especially since Yaba has her own music and like <laughs> nothing new in my opinion. But it's good. It's good. I gave it a six. The next song no friends in the industry you know drake did no new friends eight years ago um (laughs) to to now be like no friends in the industry like you need to clarify even more i don't know about it but but to be fair this song really seems like it's directed specifically at kanye who you know has had this erratic kind of relationship to drake where he's trying to make amends and then he'll he'll be like posting his address and putting and going joker mode putting push into group chat stepping on release dates etc um you sort of get these if you're reading this is too late vibes from this definitely that that kind of shark energy that he had on that record i don't know even to the extent that it's even to the extent that you see this as being pointed directly at yay which in moments it definitely feels like there's just something uh aimless about it i feel like you know given that drake's been expressing the same sentiment about no new friends for at least eight years definitely over and he's also been at the top of that game uh, at the top of the game for the same amount of time it sort of just feels like he's like shooting into the air and hoping to hit someone like you could say he's talking about yeah you could say he's talking about cole or kendrick i don't know but but really it's just about like whoever it's him saying you don't want beef but he's actually saying someone please (laughs) 
beef with me. It's the it's the don't get me started of diss records, basically. Up next is Knife Talk, featuring 21 Savage and Project Pat. It was at this point in the album that I looked back at everything and I was like, oh yeah, we are doing a Dirty South thing here. Like the chopped and screwed thing, the OG Ron C sample, which I, I just had to like reflect back on the way things were and be like okay so there's it's definitely that's definitely something here and i would have liked to see that made a little more obvious on an intro you know on that montel jordan track poppy's home you could have had a little something at the beginning just with the radio static at the end especially you could have like a radio host come in at the side i don't know like like uh like danger days you know just uh, there are there are ways of like setting the tone if you want this to be a dirty south album and i feel like it's very sparse the way that it's integrated which uh, you know if that was the idea then fine but um i noticed it and i thought i was crazy and then i came back later in the album and i was like oh yeah it's everywhere so if that was the idea i don't know i guess the calculation behind that is that like you know megan is is sort of bringing this big comeback for that texas sound uh bringing this fun sexual in your face energy to it you know that that drake has kind of had on like poppy's home and, and way too sexy and is kind of trying to bring into this that toxic masculinity you know the cover with the 12 pregnant women <laughs> um drake's always been kind of a subliminal wave rider you know he doesn't just like hop on whatever whatever beat everyone's doing but he'll like you know just get into whatever subculture people are talking about right now and it definitely seems like on this album he's hitching his wagon to kind of being a male counterpart to megan the stallion doing that doing that texas shit and and you know he's talked about texas his whole his whole career it's it's interesting how that works out where like he'll he'll you know get a little further into these bags but you'll look back and be like okay so he's kind of been talking about this but it's like yeah he's he's very much in that texas mode on here and bringing that memphis influence that atlanta influence obviously but um that makes you feel a little more calculated but still kind of surprising that there aren't any women rapping on the album this is a criticism that many myself included also leveled at donda but like if you're gonna do an album that is sort of nodding to that style and i think when you consider the memphis shit on here the project pad shit on here and the you know way too sexy like it's very clear that he he's going for something in a megan kind of lane and so for him to not have any women anywhere on this album i mean there are women on this album yeah there's on it whatever nikki at the beginning but but to not have any women rapping on this album is odd it was odd on donda and it's odd on this too <laughs> that's all i have to say and the most we get the most we get in terms of a woman rapper is nikki on, on the interlude and then if you look back at that with the framework of this is drake trying to be the dude version of megan the stallion for him to bring her in saying that i'm the I'm the father to people whose mother is Nikki. You know, it sets the table even more so than I than I thought at the time. You know, that's the ethos behind the um, male thought album at this moment. But like, but like, half the songs on here also just feel like the same shit Drake's been doing for over a decade. You know, there's I I feel like there's there, there's not enough balance between trying to do this dirty South shit, trying to integrate it, but also more songs than not sound like rehashes of old drake songs <laughs> anyway the song itself begins with a sampled project pat verse not even like a classic project pat verse it's from 2017 like it fits but it you know as a choice i don't know about that the rest of the song is drake and 21 trading off gang shit basically um i like the song i don't think that drake and savage have that much chemistry on it 
uh, <laughs> you know, Drake always kind of falls flat when he tries to come off as, like, cold and scary, so it almost feels like a comedy sketch when Savage is, you know, when Savage is, you know, coming in with that classic kind of flat, you know, very menacing flow, and then Drake comes in like, I fuck with her, and fuck with her, and her, you <laughs> I don't know. I, I like the track. Solid lines, menacing beat. Twenty one is great. Um, it kind of reminded me of. It reminded me of Without Warning, which is the album where Twenty One has chemistry with someone, and also What a Time to Be Alive, which is the album where Drake has chemistry with someone. But you just, it, it's a mesh. It's a meshing of worlds that doesn't quite work. But it's a, it's a fun track. I think I gave this one a seven too. I, it's sevens all around on this one. Um, the next track is the the big diss record that everyone pointed to that's not actually a big diss record 7am on Bridal Path the I think 5th entry in the AMPM series that Drake does it honestly feels like he's done a dozen of them at this point but I think I read it with this was the 5th um, I would say this is the most like in his element Drake has felt as a rapper on this entire album like just just in terms of flow and attitude and and and, and lyrics like like, like it, it it feels like he wants something <laughs> where the rest of the album is not uh that <laughs> um you know to the extent that there's like the big dive into the Kanye beef, I don't know if I see that. It's a little more of like a show of force with a bunch of disses sort of worked in. Then it's not a diss record per se, but it's kind of he's he's sort of taking the the infrared angle, and we'll get into that in a bit. But um, corny puns, the Horatio line. I'm sure every everyone's thought of trying to come up with Horatio, Horatio, and uh, <laughs> Drake has fun with it. The Denmark like Copenhagen line is is good too. Um, I feel like if this was in a midst of a serious beef if this was actually like if this was the ether of this beef people would people would count those as marks against it but the fact that this is you know that he's taking on this pusher all and putting out like a regular album track that happens to have disses on it you know it, it, it can't necessarily be judged as a direct diss record and that's the thing like I'm not really sure who started it this time. I, you know, Drake had the thing on betrayal, but Ye might have done something before that. I, I don't think it's serious beef between Drake and Kanye. Rick Ross kind of let the cat out of the bag on that one when he was like, you know, it's competition and they're, you know, challenging each other, whatever. Um, but I, I definitely think there is something serious between Drake and Pusha T. And that goes, you know, that's decades old. That goes back to the clips with, with Lil Wayne back in the 2000s, while the Drake-Kanye beef has always just been about, like, jokes and trolling and, and, and these mutually beneficial marketing marketing game thing. I think Drake was genuinely mad at Kanye during the Pusha beef, but, like, as once that got cleared up, like, 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 there's nothing about this. And ever since then, Kanye's been like, Drake can't be sicker than me. You know, just talking about pools and shit. Like, it, it's not real, you know? But, but, but the fact that it's so adjacent to that Pusha T beef, which feels very real, it just, it's, it's a weird dynamic there. And you can definitely tell that Drake is kind of trying to put himself into the strategic position that Pusha was in in 2018. You know, casting the first stone with, uh, on a, on a feature, doing the album track here with, with, um, infrared on Daytona and 7am on bridal path here and then you know i think he you know in in that framework it's you wait for kanye to respond and then you have something in the chamber which i think drake does right now it's been a couple days so maybe he doesn't but i my thought is the reason that he leaked the kanye track himself is because 
he didn't want to put them in a strategic position of making the next move and then taking him by surprise again. So he was like, he was like, I'm putting out your disc record that you might not even have put out. And so I'm forcing your hand. And now you don't have to say anything because I'm going to do this disc record that I was already planning to do. It, it, you know, it, it's an interesting position because it, it does set him up to do the push a T thing, but also it puts Kanye in a position where he can say nothing and win because Drake, so far Drake has put out everything himself. So, so if he just, if he's just like, I put out a disc, then I put out your disc. Now I'm putting out another, it would, it would be like the, the Joe Button beef with Drake where Drake just didn't respond. And it literally like ended Joe Button's career. I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm still not convinced that life of the party wasn't like this mutually intentional leak that Kanye knew about that Drake knew that Kanye knew about. Like I, I feel like it feels like an arrangement for something, but I don't know if it's actually like like a strategic move on one part in like a game of chess, you know? Maybe it is. But yeah, good verse, decent beat on 7am on Bridal Path. Uh, you can kind of see how impossible it is to like talk about things on this album because like the circumstances around it just lead you to other songs that are more interesting. But um, I gave this song an 8 out of 10. It's very good. The next song is Race My Mind, and I talked about how there were a couple of songs on this album that won me over instantly with the beat. This one kind of put me off instantly the same way. It's, you know, you've got this this horrible garage band-ass drum loop of some, like, cartoony harp sample, like, like, like Timmy Turner's falling asleep on the, <laughs> like several times on the verse on the first part of the song it you know it transitions into something nice at the end but this it just it i i, I was just pulled off or pulled away from it right off the bat it, it, it just felt unfinished to me it, it was mixed weird and it, the drums were bad and the, the the harp thing didn't really work and there, there was some interesting stuff going on with like other kind of orchestral arrangements on it but it just well i, I was instantly like this sucks even after the even after the switch you know even the, the, the in the second half like it's you know he's bringing that energy but it feels it feels like it could have been a cut from so far gone it feels like this song could have been from 09 and not just in like i like so far gone but i mean that in the sense that it sounds so dated you know drake sounds like he's not confident in what he's doing and it's just it's taking this this concept this two-part concept uh, the you know that has been done so many times and that was that was kind of a new thing when drake was coming out but like is something that every rapper does on uh, every song now just you know it's just taking a bunch of ideas that have been greatly expanded upon in drake albums from eight ten years ago and making them sound like they're in a fetal stage again i don't i don't really know how this happened like energy's decent the drums on the first track really kind of kill it for me so does the there yeah there's nothing worthwhile about it to me and it just i don't know it's like like retreading is one thing but to, like like why does it sound old why does it why does it sound like a like a 15 year old song who how did that happen i don't know speaking of old the next song uh fountain fountains featuring thames uh very uh more life views energy on here reminds me of one dance you've got drake on his in his afrobeat pop bag for the first time in what feels like a, a few years at least definitely you could easily see this song being on views um 
and it, like I said, it reminds me of One Dance, which I actually like a lot more than most people seem to. I think it's a good a good pop track. But yeah, I feel I feel like I, I don't know. It, it, it Drake's tapping into the energy of previous releases, which is something that Kanye also does on Danda and has also been doing for a few years. I feel like that's always a dangerous avenue for artists to take. And that's the thing, really. Drake and Kanye, they were the biggest rappers a decade ago, right? Like they clearly still have a huge cultural impression. They can still make headlines and do this do this beef shit and it's all over the media. But like, I couldn't exactly see either of them having a song that defines 2021. You know, even the, the, the 2018, Drake had the, the biggest sales of his entire career, the best-selling album of the year, three massive number one hits. But I don't think of any of those songs as being, uh, any of those things as being like defining of 2018. You know, I, I, feel, I feel like Drake is, I feel like Kanye has lost a lot of cultural cachet because of controversy in the last couple of years. Drake, it's more so just like, just now we're starting to see the cracks in it. But like, neither of them are, are the most... They're, they're among the most famous rappers in 2021, but I don't think either of them is, 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 is at the cutting edge in 2021 the way they were a decade ago. You know, it feels like they both have this sense that their window of relevance isn't sustainable, and so they're just having this war of attrition to see who turns into Eminem the quickest. I, I don't know. I like, I like Thames on here. It's definitely a fun track, but five years later to still be on, <laughs> to still be on this vibe, it feels very out of place with the rest of the album. Like it doesn't add anything not just to this album, but to the catalog that Drake of Afro Beach had, that Drake established on Views and More Life. Boy, that, that doesn't fit into that either. So, I uh, yeah, I I think it's a good song, but I just think in the broader context of of Drake, I you know it's it's not worthwhile to me. After that is Get Along Better, Like Into Deep. This track wins me over right off the bat with this, like, R&B slow jam, very, like, big and, you know, passionate kind of sexy beat coming in here. I love, I, I love the way it sounds. So, it's so syrupy. You can tell that Ty Dolla is going to come in and fucking kill it. In the context of the narrative, because that's not <laughs> out the window already, this feels like a moment where Drake has, like, gone astray, lost himself, and is now sort of desperately coming back to this, the, the, this woman who, um, he broke up with her and is now with her friend and is kind of trying to apologize for it. Uh, this could potentially see that as like a nexus point in like the male thought interpretation of this album and the storytelling interpretation of this album where like Drake had this relationship back in the day and then went off and like you know fucked around and went crazy you know the the the, the things that 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 Drake talks about girls doing on like Hotline Bling that was it's him doing that and now sort of coming back and kind of trying to make make things right uh in a way I felt the implementation implementation of Ty Dolla Sign was interesting, uh, unconventional. The background vocals, you know, rather than just having him uh, do a verse, like I, I I feel like if there were more instances on this album of of features being sort of being pu- sort of pushing the concept forward, the way that like like Drake's feature on that Beyonce song from uh, a while ago, that, that that's an example of something where if there were integrations like that on the album, I feel like this use of Ty Dolla Sign would make more sense. But I, I I wanted to hear a little more from him, you know. This like on I you know when I heard what the bonus version of Junior, I was like. I want to hear more Ty on this album too. Like, like, like I always want to hear more Ty Dolla Sign, not less. That's my t- that's my message to Drake and Kanye. But yeah, great sounds on here. Not, it's not the kind of song that I typically listen to. 
uh, but it's definitely something that I greatly appreciate, and so I gave that one an 8 out of 10. Next one, You Only Live Twice, featuring Rick Ross and Lil Wayne. I love the, like, when it's doing the Maybach music tag at the beginning, but it, like, it, it like, cuts off the same way that that, that Pocket Rocket line did earlier. It's just, like, and then it, and, and then it cuts off. I like, it's, like, a slick little tease. It, like, it's, like, you just need that part. It's, like, they could have started it with a lighter flick from Wayne, and you'd be, like, oh, shit. It's the same way, like, like how My Chemical Romance fans could play, like, one note on the piano, and they'll lose their minds. This is, this is that for, uh, for, for the Maybach music, you know era i like how the title hints at yolo um well it's you know it's another kind of recalling of past success but yeah. <laughs> it's different okay it's it's a it's a completely different song from the motto definitely but it, it, it like harkens back to that era of drake's career more so and which he doesn't often recall like he did it with uh seeing green earlier this year but you know for him to be like doing these posse cuts, bringing Rick Ross and, and Wayne in there, that era of the motto and uh, uh, I'm on one and you know all those DJ Khaled tracks. Like, he doesn't often reach back into that that bag, and that was a big part of, of pop culture at that time, I think. Um, strong choice to have Ross come in off the bat. He's bringing some great energy, some of the most, like... Th- this is the highest energy level that anyone has had on the album up to this point. It's been this real kind of slow... Uh, almost platitudinous uh run and then ross just comes barreling in even in, uh, on a beat that i think is is fine not the best beat he's ever been on but he he really like sells it brings it to the next level and um he's bringing the non sequiturs in his verse he's like highly celebrated when fidel died patty labelle who knew that we would sell pies just a little a little all over the place but he's you know he's bringing that energy that we love to see from ross that, that's what i want to see rick ross do on a drake album um it did remind me a lot of seeing green like i said the song that drake did with wayne and nikki earlier this year uh but like they could do a million of those man it's like it's like when bruno mars did uptown funk and then his and then his next song was a lot like uptown funk and it's like is he just the uptown funk guy now and it's like yeah but like if if i have a million versions of uptown funk i'll be i'll i'll, I'll die a happy woman you know <laughs> Um, Drake compares himself to Michael Jackson again. Um, in fact, he's not even comparing. He says he's actually Michael Jackson, which, like, you know, it's more of that go talk. But it, again, in the midst of, like, people wondering if he might be a creep, I don't know if he needs to be <laughs> doing, like, leaning so heavy on the Michael Jackson thing. Rick Ross references the motto in his verse. He brings that you only live twice thing. Drake recalls Fancy, the Swizz Beats featuring track he did in 2010, and in the middle of a couplet where he's dissing Swizz Beats, which, which I should note, the Swizz Beats thing that he says on this song, it feels a lot more personal than anything he says to Kanye on this album. Just, just the thing I was saying about it being a marketing thing, that, you know, just a little more to that regard. Um, it gives us another album lines, uh, another album line, another line that kind of defines the record. I had to fuck a lot of girls to get a kid like this it's weird <laughs> the way that he the way that he talks about his kid always in the context of i'm i'm so sexy i have a kid basically like it's just a weird way to like approach your own child you know um but then wayne delivers what i thought was the best verse on the album basically i mean drake has a really good verse near the end but i uh i did think that this wayne verse was excellent um really really fun really funny great you know incredible flow you just you just hear wayne when when wayne goes in it's just like no one else can do this you know 
and uh, he also does a reference to Lollipop right at the end. So, so all three rappers reference, you know, uh, old songs. I guess, I guess Ross references a Drake song, but you know, they, 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 it's referencing this era in time, and you know, it's exactly the kind of nostalgia play that I was just saying. I think artists should be fearful of, but like, it's also one of the best songs on the album. So, what do I know? Nine out of ten. After that, you get uh, IMY2 featuring Kid Cudi, uh, beginning with a Juice World clip, you know, whatever. Kanye did the same thing, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's gauche, I think, but it's it's not something... It, it, I, I, I can't necessarily fault Drake for it, because it's something that every rapper is doing right now with Juice World and, and DMX and fucking um, Pop Smoke, and anyone who died recently is gonna is gonna get some of that right now. That's just the way the industry is, unfortunately. Kind of a Donda reminiscent move to just, like, interrupt this drake album for a kid cutty song basically uh a, a pretty strong one not as like majestic as moon but you know he's bringing that energy it feels very kid cutty he's having fun they have honestly a lot of chemistry and i don't know cutty and drake definitely haven't don't work together as often as cutty and kanye do but I, I i feel like they because they were both part of that 808s wave like they 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 complement each other very nicely i would like to hear more collaboration from them actually um even though with the complications with kanye that might be difficult although like i said there's so many people on this album who are also on donda i i feel once again that it's not really a personal thing um in terms of this narrative and of this like album narrative i've been talking about i guess this is drake trying to get back with the old girl acknowledging mistakes of his past saying you told me i was a phase okay fine i miss you too uh i don't know about the about the narrative here but i do think that this is a strong song i gave this one a seven Throwing out sevens here. I'm rolling them sevens every time I roll around. Uh, fucking fans is the next song. Immediately not into it once again. This is the one. This is the one that sounded like a Justin Bieber outtake. Um, middling beat, barely their hook, weird mixing, sounds bad. It does feel like it's in the narrative through line of the other songs with Drake coming back to an old flame trying to own up to his past mistakes as she seems to want like nothing to do with him. You know, it, it lost me pretty quickly. So that one gets a three out of 10. I actually rated it higher than Race My Mind, which I guess the fact that I didn't remember which one Race My Mind was is a, a good indication of that. But um, that takes us to the final track in the album, The Remorse, which, you know, is very similar to champagne poetry is kind of a full circle moment that maybe defeats the 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 extent to which there was a narrative here but you know maybe both these songs were add-ons later but um it's kind of a state of affairs you know very focused rap track to to end the album not as interesting a beat as champagne poetry but he's coming in with a lot of stronger energy uh the first verse finds him paying a debt of gratitude to the friends who helped him along the way reflecting on how everything could have gone belly up if they weren't all there for him from the jump good good verse he leaves with one last aphorism nobody praying for you when you're winning don't forget it then lets the track ride out again for a long while as the tracks on this album did it makes sense on an outro because he's leaving you with a line and he repeats it and he kind of lets you like ruminate a little bit as you're leaving i feel like long outros work better on like the last song on an album than they do on every other song on an album <laughs> but uh yeah more dabs at yay on the second verse again not really from a beef angle so much as like a reflective like emotional perspective um not a bad closer i like it a lot more than champagne poetry actually but still feels like with the with the step of the rest of the record to the extent that there is a step it does feel a little out of place but um 
um, there's the it's it's messy, you know, it's a messy album, and so I, I I can't necessarily fault it for that. But yeah, the remorse is pretty good. Overall thoughts, just as we're as we're closing out here. To me, this is a big step up for Drake compared to his last few albums. On one level, he's kind of intentionally hearkening back to records like Take Care and Nothing Was the Same, but I feel like there are enough new ideas mixed in that you know it doesn't feel like a complete retread. You wouldn't listen to this and then be like oh am i listening to nothing was the same um i actually do think there's a strong narrative to be read into it as i look back on it with all the songs about a woman being directed to the same person who drake like dates back in the day goes off and becomes famous and does the uh you know always touch and road uh why never alone the, <laughs> he's doing that and now he's coming back to the girl and acknowledging his mistakes and trying to win her back and i don't think he does uh, which is interesting. Just, I, I feel like it leaves on a cliffhanger a little bit. There's probably not a real narrative here. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to read something into it. But yeah, to the extent that there is, it definitely does not, um, approach a, a conclusion, I don't think. And it's clouded by these other ambitions that it has of, of being, uh, you know, of doing the horny South thing and of doing, um, and of like just recalling all this, uh, the, the, checking off the boxes for the types of songs people extract, expect from a Drake album. Also recalling like moments from previous Drake albums. Also taking shots of Kanye with like just enough regularity that you can tell that was the idea. And it's not just something random that's going on. Um, uh, yeah, the problem with trying to break down the like, issues and ideas behind a drake album is knowing that no one else is gonna think deeply about it like like i i don't mean that in the sense that drake fans don't think deeply about music i just mean that in the sense that if you 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 know i could have made a whole thing about more life back in the day i could have done gone through all the 22 tracks that that album has and just you know dissected it and try to come up with a narrative but when people look back on more life they 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 remember uh a, a couple songs they remember what it sounds like they remember blem and uh passion fruit that's that, that's what more life is looking back on it it has nothing to do with like what it's what it's about and so this album's getting a lot of positive feedback and like i said the best project that drake has done in a long time but but um I don't know. It just, it feels like he's returning to that, that take care that nothing was the same kind of era, but like he's, he's lost a certain touch when it comes to just, just like sound quality. It doesn't, it, it, it sounds poor and like it's written poorly and it just, there's just a significant quality drop when you really put them side by side for the most part. This record's having fun and there are attitude things that I like about it and quality isn't, then, you know, technical quality isn't the be all end all, but it's just, you know, he's, he's, he's trying to be like, he's back and he's really not, which you could probably say the same thing about Kanye, but, um, there are these signs to wear and tear on like Drake's image with that, that, you know, I think in retrospect, like if he continues down this path, this is not going to be remembered as like a great album. This is going to be remembered as like part of the long drawn out fallout of Drake. I don't think this is going to be seen as the beginning of the end under any circumstances, because like, like I said, the last couple albums haven't been very good unless Kanye really turns around this beef, in which case maybe this will be like, this will be like that 50 album, but I don't think so. I, I, I think like every Drake album, it will be remembered for the hits 
way too sexy, you only live twice, and beyond that, uh, on a lot of this album, you'll find an artist spinning wheels, rehashing sounds and ideas from over a decade ago, because he doesn't seem to have the confidence to take take a, a single new concept and just just do it beginning to end and leave it at that. You know, if you wanted to do the, the Dirty South thing, if you wanted to be Megan, you wanted to be the, the male Megan, uh, he could have done an album about that instead of doing like two songs and having the rest of it be like like a B grade greatest hits compilation, a worst hits compilation for 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 Drake. And it's weird because he's picking up on the sound of like like he's doing Marvin's Room and he's doing One Dance and like, like these are some of Drake's most admired songs, but they're not blueprints for hits really. Like you you couldn't do another Marvin's Room and have it also be a hit the way that Bruno Mars can do another uh another uptown funk and have it be a hit like they like a song that sounds like one dance may be calculated for i'm sure that has a great international appeal and drake obviously that's part of the reason that drake has stayed so prominent is because he has these fans all over the world i'm sure that 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 fountains has 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 a broader appeal than you only live twice might but um i you know i i don't think it's going to do numbers like one dance did in 2021 i just i i i think that that sound is not as that that sound has developed greatly since since then and 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 for drake to be making a song that you could swap out for controller and no one would tell the difference like i i don't know it just feels like a um like a weird move to be picking these these kinds of songs i get it with the rick ross and lil wayne like like you know the 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 big like posse cut record like that makes sense to me but with with the rest of this stuff i just don't i just don't necessarily see the vision here um so that's my overall take best album drake's done since uh if you're reading this is too late in my opinion not very good a lot of problems definitely that um it doesn't hold up to a close read in my opinion very well there definitely i mean look as i was going through these songs you heard i gave most of them seven out of ten so clearly i didn't dislike that many things from this album but the things that i did dislike were really egregious and stood out to me a lot more than the things i did like which there were also plenty of it's just you know it's an album that people are going to get what they want to get out of it and um i i just don't feel like uh, just, just like I'm trying to p- put it big picture and like ignore the narrative, ignore everything. Just like what am I going to reflect on this album as being? And I think I'm going to reflect on it as being a kind of kind of tongue in cheek and more 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 goofy record than than the past couple Drake records have been, and a record that is full of like worse versions of of Drake's greatest hits and you know um has kind of a dirty south thing going on but i don't think that's actually going to hold up over time at all i think you know the og ron c thing the like chopped and screwed outro on on one track it's just like it's it's so sparse and so poorly integrated both into the promotion and into the album itself that i just i don't think that's going to read at all it didn't even read for me until i was most of the way through the album so i I, yeah i just think that this is um this is not going to be certainly for people who are saying that drake is in dire need of a great album this is not that but it might be a step in the right direction in terms of keeping him keeping him from that like gradual decline that people saw him as maybe starting to be on but like i don't know man i i'm uh, not a great fan of it that's my that's my take and this has been another episode of pulp friction thank you so much to everyone who listened 
Uh, next week we will have a guest on, and it won't just be me rambling for a hundred minutes. Uh, so yeah, thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to support the show. Uh, reach out to me if you're interested in being a future guest, and uh, yeah, I'll see you next week. I disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary.